God's country, hallelujah, got out of that place down there, you know, he's moving in the right direction. And this is his first winter, so he needs a, a lot of prayer uh, to make it through this. He, he thinks it's already winter. <laughs> uh, like, oh, no, dude, uh, you got something coming here. But uh, th- this is a, uh, a young man that I've just really come to love. And uh, we now get together every week and pray t- together and, and uh, just talk together. And we're still, still sparring partners on our website. Uh, but one of the roles I believe he's to fill is, is to, you know, begin to develop as, as a person to present the word. He's got a lot of insight in the word. Uh, and so I would like us to give a very warm Woodland Hills welcome to my good friend, Dwayne Polk. Come on up, Dwayne. Love his- yeah. Howdy. Howdy. Greetings in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I'm glad to be here. I'm glad you guys are all here. Um, This message, just like Norm said, I believe this message is a powerful message. This message has really been just germinating in my heart over a period of weeks, and it has really revolutionized the way that I think about Christianity, the way that I think about discipleship, and I just pray that this message does the same for all of you here. I'd also like for people, if you would, during this message, please be prayerful. Pray for the message. Pray for the reception of the message because I believe this is something that is really going to just transform lives. So saying that, let's pray. Father, we just thank you for another opportunity to be in your house together. We just thank you for another opportunity to just be in your presence with the wonderful worship and just hear your word, Lord God. Father, we pray right now that you would speak to me and speak through me, Lord God, that you would just minimize me to utter transparency, that people not see me, but they see you in me. Let people not hear from my spirit, but hear from your spirit, Father, because your spirit is the only way that we can have true transformation. I thank you for this word, and I thank you for the people, and I thank you for what you are about to do through us, through this word. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. I don't think I have to tell too many of you today that we live in a very choice-oriented, or should I say choice-saturated society. Everything is about what we can get and how many of it we can get. I mean, there's tons of channels that you can choose from, tons of toothpaste. You can go mentally insane trying to get some toilet tissue. I mean, seriously, I mean, it's like, okay, do I want two-ply? Do I want fragrantly fresh? Do I want four-ply? Like, look, just give me this. I just, just give me something I can work with. But the, the reason... <laughs> I'm not going to go into detail about what I'm talking about. <laughs> but really, the, the society, our 21st century American society is geared towards consumerism, is geared towards giving people as many options and choices as they can possibly take in mentally so they can feel like they're in control. And I think Doc did a wonderful message earlier this year about how that type of consumerism can find its way into the church and actually hinder the way that we serve God and actually have impacts on discipleship. I was thinking about that and I was just thinking about, you know, what this sermon was to be and one of the things that I kept thinking about as I was pouring over these sermons for the past year is, well, what, how does choice play a part of discipleship? I mean, we always talk about people making decisions for Christ and we always talk about you having to choose to follow Jesus. Well, you know, so we can stay, we don't want to fall into the consumerism, but where does choice lie when we talk about discipleship? And I prayed over it and thought over it, and I really believe that God has given us a word for this house on what we mean by choosing to follow Jesus in discipleship. And it starts with scripture. Luke 14, if you have your Bibles, Luke 14, starting at verse 25. Now large crowds were traveling with him. And he turned and said to them, whoever comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even life itself cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry the cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. For which of you attending to build a tower does not first sit down and estimate the cost to see whether he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it will begin to ridicule him, saying, this fellow began to build what was not able to finish. Or what king going out to wage war against another king will not sit down first and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to oppose the one who comes against him with 20,000? If he cannot, then while the other is still far away, he sends a delegation 
and ask for the terms of peace. So therefore, none of you can become my disciple if you do not give up all your possessions. Now, this is a powerful, powerful bunch of scripture. And there's a lot of stuff in that. But right now, I just want to focus on the aspect of choice. What does it mean to say that we are choosing to be a disciple? What does it mean to have this choice to follow Christ? I would consider this choice, from what I'm reading here, it's a choice of critical significance. I mean, a choice of critical significance. And that counts up in two ways. First of all, this, the choice that you're about to make is so important that it is imperative that you count the cost. Just like the scripture says here, there's no, no military strategist in their right mind would just go out to wage a war against somebody that they really didn't think they have a chance of winning. They're going to sit down with the strategy and make sure that they know everything that they have to do to win this war in, in order to, keep it, in, to accomplish it. The same way with building a house. Jesus is saying it's the same way with discipleship. We have to be able to count the costs involved, and there's a reason for that. And there's a second point of what it means to have, be a choice of critical significance. This is a choice that once this choice is made, it significantly constrains choices that you're going to be making later on in life. I'm going to say that again. The, the, the reason that this is a choice of critical significance is because once you make this pivotal choice right here, there's other choices that you, it used to be that you could choose, well, I'm going to do it and well, I'm not, I'm not going to do it. But after you make this choice, it's a non-negotiable that you're going to do it. I have to give an analogy here. Let's think about marriage, the covenant of marriage. And one of the things in this covenant that you understand is you are pledging to be you know, have fidelity with one other person. This person is going to be your spouse, and you're going to pour into that person, you're going to love that person, and that person is going to love you. So once you make the decision to get married, you're not going to go over here and try to make this decision whether you're going to date or not. It's kind of like this. It's like, you know, honey, you know, you know, I know we've been married for seven years, and it's been wonderful, and, you know, you've cooked me cocoa and made me breakfast and everything, and it's been really good, but I'm getting that seven-year itch, you know, and... And, and you're gaining a couple of pounds and everything. I, and I, I love you and I pledge myself to you, but I was just wondering, um, I want to kind of date around. You know, if I date, you know, Susan over here, you know, she lives over there. I just figure I could date. I mean, I still love you, but, you know, I just want to broaden my options. You know, our society, I want to broaden my options. And she'd be like, um, well, honey, I don't know if a uh, meteorite came out of space and just hit you on the head or if you, like, sniffed too much paint or something like that. But... You chose to marry me, and that means that you are going to be, you know, have fidelity with me. You're not supposed to be dating around. Well, well honey, come on. I mean, I pledged. I, I, I stood before the preacher, and I said, hey, I love you, and I will spend the rest of my life with you, and I'm doing that. But I just want to kind of make the choice. You know, sometimes I feel like being with you, and sometimes I feel like being with somebody else. I'm like, well, wait a minute. And the, and the woman's like, wait a second. Now, when you made this choice to marry me, you also made the choice at the same time that you weren't going to date anybody else. It's a non-negotiable. You know what I'm saying? In other words, he's like, you know, if you, you should have counted the cost. If you felt like after seven years you were going to have some kind of weird itch where you're going to want to date other people, then what you should have defined our relationship up here. You should have said, no, we'll be boyfriend and girlfriend, we'll be lovers or anything like that. But you shouldn't have jumped over that broom and said that you were going to become my husband. Because once you did that, you significantly constrained your choices. Now, I'm saying all that as an analogy to say that discipleship is exactly the same way. And unfortunately, just like marriage, unfortunately, there's a lot of people that make the plunge. They, they jump over the, over the broom into marriage without truly counting the cost of what marriage takes. About pouring, pouring totally into somebody. About loving your wife as Christ loved the church as far as really giving yourself up and being only totally dedicated to that one person. I submit to you that it is just the same way in discipleship. There are a lot of times we see all the good things about discipleship. It's like, oh, my God, there's a God that radically loves me, and he wants to just lavish his love on me, and I can just take this love he ravishes me with and just spread it all around, and everything is good, and everything is great, and the, fly, the, the birds are flying, and the birds are chirping, and oh, my God, it's great, and I'm, I'm going to become a disciple. And so they say, okay, I'm, I'm now a Christian. I'm going to follow Jesus. But have they really taken the time to understand the cost? Have they really taken the time to really see what the non-negotiables are? Because let's, let's not be deceived on this. Discipleship is such that once you make the choice to be a disciple, there are certain things that you don't have any choice on any longer. So does everybody understand what I'm talking about when I'm talking about um, a choice of critical significance? Okay, seriously, this, this has to be really understood here. 
Okay, so now that we understand that discipleship really is this choice of critical significance such that once we make the decision, it's going to constrain our decisions later on and that we, of course, need to count the cost, we need to think, okay, what is discipleship about? I mean, really, what is the ground for it? What are going to show these non-negotiables? Greg, right, Greg, all this year, has been talking about how love grounds everything that the Christian does. Everything. Without love, there is no Christianity. None. Okay? Actually, in one of his sermons, Doc says that discipleship is the concrete manifestation of love. And I completely agree with that. We cannot do anything that we are called to do in Christ unless it's out of love. But here's something people don't think about. Because some people, it's very interesting. We can get into the situation we follow in Christ, but for some reason we feel like we actually have the choice whether or not to love. Maybe, maybe, maybe it's just me felt like that. I just feel like sometimes I can just go on my happy way, and if I don't feel like loving somebody, I just don't love them. But God has really revealed something in me. It's like, no, you no longer have that choice. And there's a couple of reasons for that. And the first thing is, believe it or not, loving is a commandment a commandment from God to his people. If you look at Mark 12, Mark 12, verse 30, I please hope, I hope you don't mind this. I really like scripture. My thing is, if I'm gonna give something authoritative about discipleship, how about I do it from scripture? I, you know, I just, I'm just not those types to try to kind of, you know, philosophize and give you my perspectives and stuff like that because I don't have authority. I'm not Lord. Okay, cool. <laughs> Mark 12, verse 30. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and all of your mind and with all of your strength. And the second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other greater commandment than these. Now understand this. This is not a suggestion. You know, like, you know how sometimes you ask your friend, you know, hey, what, car, what, car, what color car should I buy? Man, that blue car would be tight, you know. So that's a suggestion, okay? This is a commandment from the Lord God. You know, Old Testament, this, you know, this is part of the Old Testament, this is part of the New Testament. This is something that God says, hey, if you're going to be on my team, this is what you are commanded to do. But again, you know, I don't want people to think, you know, well, Jesus is just some drill sergeant and just tells us what to do. Don't you think God is a God of love? Don't you think God just loves us as friends? And didn't he say that he calls us friends and no longer servants? And uh, Okay, okay. I want to convince you. That it's not only a commandment, because that hasn't changed. It really is a commandment that if we're going to be for God, we have to love. We have to love passionately, love hard, love God, and love neighbor. But also, it's a calling. I'm going to demonstrate to you, we cannot be disciples. And this, is, this ought to sound real familiar to you. We cannot be disciples without being loving. John 13. John 13. Starting at verse 31, going to verse 35. When he had gone out, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man has been glorified, and God has been glorified in him. If God has been glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself, and will glorify him at once. Little children, I am only with you a little longer. You will look for me, and as I said to the Jews, so now I say to you, Where I am going, you cannot come. I give you a new commandment, there's that word again, commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also love one another. Now, this is the part. This is the part. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Now, does it say that they're going to know that we're disciples by our theology? Does it say that we're, they're going to know that we're loved by how much we give to the church? Does it, does it say that we're gonna, they're going to know we're disciples by how many times we say blessings upon you and, and, and hallelujah, bless you, thank you, Lord? Does it say all the time we use that Christianese? Does it say that we're going to be known as disciples by our Christianese? It says that we're going to be disciples by how much we love one another. That's how we're going to be known as disciples. So I'm, I'm trying to get this, I'm trying to get this focus because this hit me really hard. The bottom line is there is no way, we have no choice in the matter whether or not we're going to love our neighbor as ourselves. Because we're commanded to do it and we're called to do it by Christ. Jesus Christ himself says, look, unless you are known by love, guess what? They ain't going to call you my disciples. I don't call you my disciples. You are going to be known by your love. So I want to I undergird this whole thing. Everything the Christian life does is out of love. And love is non-negotiable. Once you choose, 
Once you choose to follow Christ, you no longer have the choice to choose who you're going to love and who you're not going to love. You are commanded as a child of God to love all people the same. You are, you are commanded to love your neighbor as yourself and have a radical love for God that is contagious. That is what we're called to do. That is what marks us as disciples. Now, there's some things that really fall from this. I want to undergird everything by love, but there are certain things that come out of love that are also non-negotiable. Now, we understand that we can't be disciples without love, and that's good. But we have to figure out, okay, what things come out of this grounding of love that are also non-negotiable? Now, there's three things that I can think of right now, and one of those things is radical obedience. Radical obedience to God. This is important because I mean, I, I know in my, in my life sometimes I'll go around and I kind of obey. Have you ever had these times that you just feel, you just feel like I'm going to obey God when I feel like it? You know, maybe, that, maybe that's just me, you know. It's like, you know, God, God tells me to pray all week, but I'm just going to pray on Wednesday and Friday and part of Monday. But then Tuesday and Thursday I'm taking off. Is that radical obedience? No. Radical obedience is when you realize that he is the absolute and you are the relative and you do what he says for you to do. Exactly. It's like this. You actually have an attentive ear to what he says to do. That's how radical obedience is. See, I, I, I kind of figured this out. You know, sometimes we'd be obedient and it's like we'll be obedient if God shouts it to us. You know, he, 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 you, better make, you better make sure I hear it. I'm way over here, God. You're way over there. You better make sure I hear it. But to be radically obedient is to lean an ear. To lean an ear to the word, to lean an ear to the preaching, lean an ear to the godly people speaking to you and the Holy Spirit speaking to you. And being willing to do whatever that person, whatever God says for you to do. Now again, I do not want to make God look like some drill sergeant, you know, yes sir. Yes, God is Lord and guess God loves us, but I'm going to tie this to love. I'm going to show you without a doubt that radical obedience is tied to loving God. If you go to 1 John 2. 1 John 2, starting at verse 3. Now by this we may be sure that we know him, if we obey his commandments. Whoever says, I have come to know him, but does not obey his commandments, is a liar. And in such a person the truth does not exist. Get this. <laughs> but whoever obeys his word, truly in this person the love of God has reached perfection. By this we may be sure that we are in him. Whoever says, I abide in him, ought to walk just as he walked. Now, I don't know about you, but I've heard all these people say, you know, well, we are abiding in Christ and we're standing in Christ and we know Christ and stuff like that. But guess what? To the extent that you don't radically obey God, you are not, you are not perfecting that love of God in you. Do you hear what I'm saying? The scripture says that this is how we know that we'll have the perfection of love of God, that we obey his commandments. You know what I'm saying? Now, first of all, we're commanded to love. We're commanded to love God and we're commanded to love the neighbor. We're commanded to both love both radically. So according to that scripture, is it possible for us to do that without following God's commandments? Is it possible for me to just say, oh, yeah, I'm just blessed of God and God just loves me and stuff like that, but God can't count on me to pray for a week? Is that radical obedience? Mm-mm. And I'm going to have the audacity to say that I know God and I can't even follow God's directives for a week. You have to, I'll have to excuse me if I preach to myself for a little bit. But maybe I just feel like I've let God down as far as radical obedience sometimes. And this word hits me pretty hard. But this is what God is calling all of us to. If we are not able to just put aside our wants and our needs and say, God, it really is all about you and not about me, we have no business to call ourselves disciples. We can call ourselves Jesus cheerleaders. We can call ourselves Jesus fans. We can call ourselves Jesus everything. But we cannot sully the name of disciple if we are truly not living in radical obedience out of love for God. That's radical obedience. That's one thing. There's another thing, it's kind of like it, we cannot, we cannot, this, once you make the choice to follow Christ, you do not have the choice whether or not to do that, whether or not to do this, and that is daily death to self. You have got to constantly die to self. Greg has talked about this weeks and weeks at this house. 
just letting you know, you are not going to hear anything in this sermon that has not been told to this house all this year. This is something that God is just really wanting us to pour over and understand. And so as God, God has been leading us in understanding death to self, and it's essential that we do that. Now, I think sometimes it remains in the abstract, but let me, let me concretize it for you. Dying to self means that when you think about your aspirations and your views and your will and what you want to do and stuff like that, you are actually able to die to all of that to say, God, what would you have me do? And let me tell you something, that's radical. It's kind of hard to die to yourself when you have a $60,000 job, a big house, a big car, and all that kind of stuff like that, and God says, you know, I want you to give all that up, and I want you to move somewhere else where I tell you. Kind of pulling an Abraham on you. You know what I'm saying? It gets hard to deny yourself. Because all of us, all of us have dreams, all of us have aspirations, all of us have things that we want to be, but are we willing to honestly say, God, these things ultimately do not matter because I have died to myself. I've died to myself that you might live in me. I want to give a real concrete example of what I feel is just, to me, a very good example of what it means to die to self. There's a man, uh, you might have heard of him, like in some of your history books or something like that, Martin Luther King Jr., Dr. Martin Luther King. Yeah, wonderful civil rights activist, brilliant man of God, tragically assassinated April 4th, 1968. He wrote a book in 1963 called The Strength to Love. Wonderful book, powerful book, please read it. It's a compilation of his sermons, and in one part of his sermon, he is talking about what he feels about the Christian life. He's being very transparent here, and I think that this is something that's going to be pertinent, and this will show you what we mean by denying the self. Due to my involvement in the struggle for freedom of my people, I've known very few quiet days in the last few years. I've been imprisoned in Alabama and Georgia jails 12 times. My home has been bombed twice. A day seldom passes that my family and I are not the recipients of threats of death. I've been the victim of a near-fatal stabbing. So in a real sense, I've been battered by the storms of persecution. I must admit that at times I have felt that I could no longer bear such a heavy burden and have been tempted to retreat to a more quiet and serene life. But every time such a temptation appeared, something came to strengthen and sustain my determination. I love this part. I have learned now that the master's burden is light precisely when we take his yoke upon us. Now, I want you to meditate on that. This man, he has had his house, he's had death threats almost every day. His wife, his children, all these people threatened. He's had his house bombed twice. And what is the sole reason that he's able to go through this? Because he understands what discipleship means. He understands what it means to take the yoke of the master upon him. I think this is denial of self. I mean, he's being extremely transparent. He's like, look, I, I want a healthy life. I want a life where my wife and my children aren't threatened. I want a wife, life where I can just live in peace and harmony. But there's something that won't let me do that. It's the call of God. It's, it's obedient, being obedient to the call of God. Now, I'm asking you, are we willing to have this type of self-denial? He is no Superman. He is no Superman at all. He is human being just like we are. And guess what? All of us. Everyone that has made that choice or is going to make that choice to follow Christ is called to do the same type of self-denial. We all have to search our hearts. Are we really willing to die to self completely such that it doesn't matter if, if God asked us to give 95% of our income away, we would just be like, God, here you go, here you go. If God asked us to take all the time, we, we, work, we work hard, we work 60 hours in, in, a, in a supposedly a 40-hour work week, and all we have is our weekends. Are we willing to sacrifice those weekends for people that God calls us to? Mm? We know we like our weekends, especially after we work hard, but are we willing to deny ourselves? Are we willing to deny ourselves if that Minnesota Vikings game is on and, you know, you, you're all in it and stuff like that? And God says, you know what? You just need to spend time praying with your family. God, can we wait till halftime? You know, it, it, this is a good game. You know, it's the, it's the Vikings and the Packers. And I, I can't, no, are you willing to give up that time, the, the time that you think is your time? Are you willing, really willing to say that all of your resources, all of your time is God's time, God's resources? That's self-denial. You hear what I'm saying? You see how radical obedience and self-denial tie into each other? 
And I really believe there is no way that we can call ourselves true disciples unless we're willing to do that. This is, this is one of those decisions. We can't decide on one day that we're going to deny ourselves and then Thursday we're just going to indulge every selfish whim that we can. That's not how it works. It's a forced choice. You have to make the decision. Are you going to continually, daily die to self and take any pain and any repercussions that that may have? We have to decide, we have to decide that if we want to truly be disciples. <clears throat> Excuse me. Now, we've had, we've had two so far, radical obedience and daily denial and death of self. But there's a third one. Third one, very, very powerful. Because everything is grounded in love and because of the nature of, because discipleship is a choice of critical significance. If you're going to choose to follow Christ, it is a non-negotiable that you operate in the ministry of reconciliation. Mm. It is a non-negotiable that you operate in the ministry of reconciliation. I'm going to prove this. Go to the scriptures, 2 Corinthians 5. Y'all still praying with me? All right, I'm feeling, I'm feeling. All right, 2 Corinthians 5. From now on, therefore, we regard no one from a human point of view, even though we once knew Christ from a human point of view. We know him no longer in that way. So if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting the message of reconciliation to us. So we are ambassadors for Christ, since God is making his appeal through us. We entreat you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Now I want you to think about this. The ministry of reconciliation is grounded on God's love for the world, okay? God, God in Christ reconciled himself to the world through Christ. And th th think about this. We are called by God, we're commanded, and we're called to be people who love and who, people who actually expand and experience the love of God. Now tell me, how in the world can we do that if we don't at the same time be ministers of reconciliation? We are supposed to be the people who are called by the love of God to really show the lie of race for what it is. We are supposed to be the people that are called to show the lie of sexism the way it, for what it is, a lie. We are meant to stand against every, anything and everything that separates people and separates lives. We are meant to bring healing to that. So how in the world can we live as disciples if we're not intentionally living as ministers of reconciliation? Discipleship is this. Again, Doc said that discipleship is the concrete manifestation of love. I agree with that. This is something I would say about reconciliation, though. I don't know. I really believe that the world is really broken. It's fallen. It's messed up. Like the God of this age is really taking siege. It, it, it really is a, 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 just a, pro, a problem from the matrix. I believe that. So I believe that reconciliation is the concrete manifestation of love in a fallen, broken world. In other words, you are, we are supposed to be such ministers of reconciliation. We're supposed to have the love of God in us, operating in the love of God, that when we come into a broken situation, for some reason, we can just pull that stuff together and we can say, you know what? You don't have to live in bitterness. You don't have to live in unforgiveness. You don't have to live in all these things. You don't have to live in preference. You can actually understand that God has reconciled the world to himself and that we are going to show you that we are ministers of reconciliation and you can be so too. This is what discipleship is. There is no way, I just, and maybe somebody can show me this, but I just don't see how if we really do have the reconciling call and the reconciling commandment from God that we can actually call ourselves disciples and not actively act against the racial stuff that we see. Like me, when I, when I have some of my friends back from Texas and stuff like that, how can I consider myself and I'm just preaching to myself right now, how can I consider myself a minister of reconciliation letting these people talk about white folks this, white folks that, and just, just languishing and all this unforgiveness, and I'm not saying anything? How in the world can I, as a minister of reconciliation, understanding myself as a disciple, and I just let broken marriages and broken homes and broken lives just go, and I can actually do something about it? 
because I don't want to get out of my comfort zone. It's not possible. If you make the decision to go ahead and follow Christ, there's no choice in the matter, baby. You're going to be a minister of reconciliation. If you don't want to be a minister of reconciliation, I tell you what, just like that wife said, you know, if you want to play around then you shouldn't have got married, it's the same way. If you didn't want to be a minister of reconciliation, guess what? You shouldn't have chose Christ or you shouldn't choose Christ. We got to understand this. Discipleship is crucial business. And just like marriage, we have taken it far too lightly. So again, let's go over these three things. The three things that are just crucial, that are non-negotiables once you decide to follow Christ. Radical obedience, daily death to self, and being a visionary person in the, in the ministry of reconciliation. Non-negotiables. There is no choice in that. Now, this is when we get to the fun part. <laughs> There's a line of continuity between all of the three things that I've mentioned. And actually, it's implicit in what's going to happen if you're a person of love in this fallen matrix field situation. There's a line of continuity. You know what that is? It's suffering. Ooh, suffering. The one thing that our consumeristic American society tells us that we should avoid, buy everything you can to avoid suffering. Take every pleasure in life that you can so that you don't suffer. It's actually going almost against our, our nature of self-preservation. You know, no, 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 don't suffer. Don't know. You do what's best for you. Look out for number one. Kind of, kind of a social Darwinistic type thing. But this is what Jesus is calling us to. <laughs> this, is what this, this, is, this is the line of distinction in all those three things. Now, I know it's like some people, when, I, when, when you mention suffering for Jesus, you know, some people like, you know, they think you have a whip and it's like doom, despair, and agony, you know. Like, like we're like just telling you to flange yourself and just do. That's not what we're talking about. You will suffer, but we're not talking about just that type of masochistic type of suffering. And I think that I have something that's going to kind of demonstrate that. There's a wonderful man, German pastor. You might have heard of him, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Um, tragically killed at the hands of the Nazi regime in 1945, he wrote a wonderful book called The Cost of Discipleship. He's the one that coined the phrase that suffering is the badge of true discipleship. Suffering is the badge of true discipleship. But there's a, there's a part of this, and I need to read this. I want you to really meditate on what he's saying here because I think it's so powerful. It was powerful in his time, and it's very powerful in our time. To endure the cross is not a tragedy. It is the suffering which is the fruit of an exclusive allegiance to Jesus Christ. When it comes, it is not an accident, but a necessity. It is not the sort of suffering which is inseparable from this mortal life, but the suffering which is an essential part of the specifically Christian life. It is not suffering per se, but suffering and rejection, and not rejection for any cause or conviction of our own, but rejection for the sake of Christ. I want to stop right there. Do you understand what he's saying? Of course we're going to suffer as human beings in this life. Yes, people die. People that are close to us die. We get hurt. We get bruised emotionally. Yes, we're going to suffer in that way, but that's not the type of suffering he's talking about. He's talking about people who are living for God that suffer under, under an ungodly regime. He's talking about people that suffer because they really do claim and live the cause of Christ. There's a difference. I need you to get that. Now, this is one of my favorite parts here. If our Christianity, Jesus, if our Christianity has ceased to be serious about discipleship, if we have watered down the gospel into emotional uplift, which makes no costly demands and which fails to distinguish between natural and Christian existence, then we cannot help regarding the cross as an ordinary everyday calamity, as one of the trials and tribulations of life. We might as well just say, hey, the cross, it happens. You know, just, that's just the type of suffering that happens. That's what he's saying is powerful. We have then forgotten that the cross means rejection and shame as well as suffering. The psalmist was lamenting that he was despised and rejected and that, and that is an essential quality of the suffering of the cross. But this notion has ceased to be intelligible to a Christianity which can no longer see any difference between an ordinary human life and a life committed to Christ. I think that is so poignant for right now. If it gets to the point where nobody can make a distinction between me and some com a complete atheist, there's a problem there. If we're talking the same and we're acting the same and we're looking the same and we're loving the same, guess what? There's a problem there. There should be some dis distinguishing mark 
that kind of separates me from this other person. And guess what? From what we just talked about, it shouldn't be how many times I say, bless the Lord. Bless the Lord, oh, my soul. I'm Christian. No. The mark should be how much I love. And guess what? There's a whole bunch of atheists out there that actually love better than we do. Hallelujah. There's a problem there. There's a problem when you cannot distinguish between people who say that they have given their lives to Christ and people who have not. Let's go on. The cross means the sharing the suffering of Christ to the last and the fullest. Only those totally committed in discipleship can experience the meaning of the cross. The cross is there right from the beginning. They have only got to pick it up. There is no need to go out and look for a cross for themselves. There is no need for them to deliberately to run after suffering. Jesus says that all Christians have their own crosses waiting for them as cross of suffering and rejection. But each of us has a different share. Some God deems worthy of the highest form of suffering and gives them the graces of martyrdom. While others, God does not allow to be tempted above what they're able to bear. But it is this one and same cross in every case. I want, I want us to understand, if you choose to follow Christ, there is a cross for you. You might not have to have your houses bombed like Martin Luther King. You might not have to suffer under a Nazi regime like Dietrich Bonhoeffer. But there is a cross for you. But we have to be willing and understanding that it is the nature of the disciple to suffer because of how this world is. But you know what? I know going on the word, I mean, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he's cool, he's a German theologian, but what does the Lord say? Let, let's, let's deal with what the Lord says about it, okay? Can you go, you, can you go with, with me to John 15? John 15. This is Jesus talking to the disciples. Please get this. This is Jesus talking to the disciples. The same world, the same God of this evil age, all that. If the world hates you, be aware that it hated me before it hated you. If you belong to the world, the world would love you as its own. Because you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, servants are not greater than their master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. If they have kept my word, they will keep yours also. But they will do all these things to you on account of my name because they do not know him who sent me. Now, let's, 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 I really, do we really believe what we say when we say that this world really is under the God of this evil age? Do we really believe that we are behind enemy lines? Jesus said, look, I've chosen you out of the world, so guess what? Just like the world hated me, they're going to hate you. This wasn't just for those times. Those are, those are for anybody who decides they're going to follow Christ in a selfish, sin-filled world. You're going to suffer. You understand what I'm saying? It's... This is how, it seems very ludicrous to me that we can really believe that we're going to really just say, okay, I'm going to radically obey God and I'm just going to completely die to self and I'm going to be a minister of reconciliation. I'm going to expand the, 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 the love of God, expand the kingdom of God. And this matrix is not going to in some way inflict you for that. This age of selfishness and consumerism and you actually go out and say, you know what? No, I'm not, I'm not playing any preferential, preferential treatment. I'm going to love like God loves and people ain't going to look at you crazy. You, you think you, it, we must be crazy if we actually think that we're going to have a $70,000 job and God tells us, we know, I want you to go to a $50,000 job over here because I have a purpose for that. And you tell your friends that you ain't going to suffer. They're going to try to send you to a psychiatrist. What in the world? You think God is calling? You're making a stupid mistake, dog. Are you willing to go through that type of suffering? That is some suffering. It's suffering when to follow the call of God you have to basically let your family talk about you and let your friends talk about you. Has that ever happened to anybody? Maybe that's just happened to me. But let me tell you something. When you choose, when you make that choice to follow Christ, you are going to suffer. And you have to be ready for it. This is how absurd it sounds. Saying that I'm going to basically be an enemy of the kingdom of darkness and I'm actually going to try to expand the kingdom of God. It's just like I'm going to put on a Green Bay Packers hat, Green Bay Packers shirt, Green Bay Packers shoes, Green Bay Packers socks, all that stuff, and walk up to a Minnesota Vikings tailgate party. <laughs> oh, yeah, oh, no, nothing's going to happen to me. They're just going to embrace me. We're just going to have fellowship. Kumbaya. I'm going to go up there. Yeah, Packers. No, I'm going to be lucky to get out of there without both of my legs broken. 
But do you understand what I'm saying? It is absurd for us to think that we are going to follow Christ and do everything that he has called us to do and not suffer because we're behind enemy lines, people. We have people that are actively working against unity, people that are actively working against us trying to basically give people hope and everything like that. The world is working against that. And to the extent that you lay yourself down and say, no, no further, I'm going to stand against this. We have to try, we have to understand that we may be broken, we may be bruised, we may die. We may lose everything that we hold dear. Are we willing to do that? We cannot be disciples unless we are willing to do that. Here's a question. Are we so dead to the world? Are we so dead to ourselves and radically obedient to God that we would actually give up everything that we own for somebody that could care less about us? Are we that dedicated? Jesus was that dedicated. He gave everything for people that did not like him, could not stand him, that they'll crucify him, and he gave his life for people that didn't like him. Can we be that radical? I'm preaching to myself, can I be that radical? But we cannot fool ourselves into thinking that we're going to be Christian disciples if we can't do this. If we want to call ourselves Christian fans, like, again, we want to call ourselves Christian, you know, cheerleaders and go to Northwestern and get Jesus, rah, rah, sis, boom, bomb, yeah, we love Jesus. We can do that all we want to. But if we are not willing to sacrifice and die for the cross, then guess what? We are not operating in Christian discipleship. We have to gird everything on love, and that love in this broken world will mean suffering. Now, I know some of y'all people are like, you know, look, you're going into this harsh message and everything, and you're talking about Christianity, and that's cool, but what about Woodland Hills? I mean, you know, I come to Woodland Hills, and I enjoy the worship, and we're, we, we, can, we can get to the discipleship part later. But we're just in here, and we're just gathered, and everything's cool. What does all this stuff you're saying, Dwayne, have to do with Woodland Hills? I am so glad that you asked that question. <laughs> I'm, very, I'm glad you asked that question. We are going to deal with the vision, the vision of Woodland Hills Church. God has blessed this church with a vision, with a mission and a vision. God has blessed this church with leadership that gets together and prays and really tries to see God. And God has actually given this church a vision, a vision for itself, a vision for what this church is supposed to do for the Twin Cities area. Okay? Now, we're going to go over that. We're going to go over that right now. This is the vision. The vision is on the Woodland Hills Church website. I advise you, please go look at it. Please look at what God has commanded or called this church to do and to be so that we can be unified on what we're supposed to be doing for this body. This is the vision, to be a community of spiritually empowered people who reflect God's love and advance God's kingdom in St. Paul and the surrounding area and to the world as the Lord leads working hand-in-hand hand with other expressions of the body of Christ until all have reached full fullness in Christ. Can everybody see that? Everybody got that? Now, this is the vision. This is, this is what God has actually called this house to do and be in the Twin Cities. Now, I want you to remember everything that I've talked about so far about discipleship, everything, as far as it being grounded in, grounded in love, unchangeable love, that, you know, we have to basically be willing to be radically obedient to Christ, that we have to completely die to self daily, and that we have to be just radical ministers of reconciliation, that it's going to necessarily mean suffering. Think of all that. Now, I want you to think about, especially this first couple of parts, the, 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 to be a community of spiritually empowered people who reflect God's love and advance God's kingdom. Now, how many people in here, this is audience participation time, how many people in here actually feel that we can accomplish this vision, be this spiritually empowered people without any of us being disciples of Jesus? Is my mic broke? <laughs> Let me ask again because y'all might not have caught that. How many people here, now understand, we're talking about a life of suffering. We're talking about a life of constant self-denial. We're talking about a life of, you know, hey, you might not get that stuff that you want. You might have to deny yourself. You might have to completely change your plans from what you plan to do to do what Lord calls you to do, that radical type of discipleship. Now, again, is it possible for us to do this vision without having that type of radical discipleship for Christ? How many people believe it is possible? We can't do it? Mm. 
So Dwayne, wait a minute. So Dwayne, you're telling me that unless I'm willing to be absurd enough to completely obey God un, uh, up unto death even, unless I'm able to do that and be willing to suffer for God's people, then I really can't, I really can't function in the calling of Woodland Hills Church. That's exactly what I'm saying. That's exactly what I'm saying. Unless we are willing, th this vision right here, Unless we're willing to really be willing to give our all for Christ, unless we're willing to basically be radical in all those areas, we might as well forget it. Don't think about it because we're not going to accomplish it. And that's, that's, that's big, y'all. We cannot accomplish what God has set for this house to do in the Twin Cities unless we are really willing to understand what it means to be a disciple. Now, don't say I said it. We, we, have, we have a consensus here. We have a consensus here that we need this radical discipleship in order to accomplish the vision. I just believe that God has set this vision for this house that if, if, we, if we make that choice, that we get the, God, the love of God will flow through us and transform this city. But we have to understand what God wants us to do as far as being disciples. We have to understand that we can't, we can't just keep playing Jesus cheerleaders. We can't just keep playing church. We have to be radical disciples. I have to be a radical disciple. I have to be willing to just give up any and all dreams that I may have so that God's dream for this house might be finished. And every person in there has to do that. I don't care how much money you make. I don't care how much social standing you have. I don't care where you are positionally. Or, you know what, sometimes God even gives us a glimpse of that cross and we'd be like, mm, you know, I'll just, I'll, I'll go to prayer meetings. But you know what God is doing? God is uncovering that cross and like, <laughs> no, I, I'm, not letting, I'm, not letting, I'm not letting you not see it anymore. Dwayne, there's your cross. You gonna pick it up? What you gonna do? And I believe that God is not only doing that for me, but God is doing it for every person in this room. This is exactly, I believe Jesus is saying, come and die. You, you, come and die. Come and die and suffer for my name's sake. Come and give yourself for this hurting world out there. Be willing to give your all for people that might not care about you. Be willing to minister to people who would rather spit in your face. Because guess what? That is partaking in the fellowship of Christ's sufferings. We have to be willing to do that. And each of us individually have to ask ourselves, hey, do I really want that? It may be the case that you don't want that. And that's fine. But at least we can admit that to ourselves. Because you know what? With this critically significant choice, God wants all of us. Not just our money, not just our time, not just our intentions. All of us radically. If we do not give ourselves to God radically, we will never become a community of spiritually empowered people. God's will will be frustrated if we do not make the concrete decision to give everything that we are to Christ. Everything. If you just bow your heads. I'm telling y'all, this message was so hard for me, just really recognizing that there is a cross for everybody and that I can't, there's no way to get away from suffering if I'm truly going to make the choice to follow Christ. If I want to get rid of the suffering, I have to not choose Christ because I can't choose Christ and then decide not to suffer. I can't choose Christ and then decide not to radically obey. I can't choose Christ and decide not to deny myself. I can't choose Christ and then decide, you know, hey, I'm just going to be a minister of reconciliation when I feel like it. No. If I want to give all those things up and have choice in all those things, I have to say, well, Jesus, I'll see you later. And that's a hard decision. It's a decision where you have to count the cost. And yes, we understand that to make this decision is the glorious thing because God has so much in store for us, but we need to be honest about ourselves about that cost. And I believe right now that God is speaking to this house and saying, will you come and die? Will you lay your all on the altar for my sake, for my name?
Will you be that person of love that is willing to be broken and bruised and crushed by people that you don't like so that I might be pleased, so that my kingdom might be built? And this is what we're going to do tonight. There might be some people here that you have really, over time, you've heard everything that, that God has been saying to this house. And today you have really decided, you know, I don't know about this Christianity thing. You know, hey, I, I have a family to think about. I have a job to think about. I have, I have, I have friends and, and I've worked so hard to get what I have. And I know that that's a blessing of God. But I just, just to be able to give it away at a whim just because, you know, God, I think God is telling me to. I, I just don't know about that. And maybe you've made the concrete decision, you know, hey, if, this, if that's what discipleship is about, I can't do it. It may be the case that some people here, you really need to go home and think about it. Really ponder in your mind, it's like, well, am I really willing to be that radical? I understand that furthers the vision, but am I really willing to be that radical to give up everything, my time, my life, my very life, if need be? Am I willing to do that? And that's okay, too. If you need to go home and think about it and pray about it, that's fine. But at least you're counting the cost. At least you're not making a rash decision. Because this is a decision that can impact the rest of your life. But for those people, and I believe there are some people here, that God has been working on your heart for the past year and even up until now. And you've, you've seen the cross. You've seen how much you might have to suffer. You've seen how much you might have to give up. But for some reason, there's some stirring inside of you that you say, you know what, even though I might die, even though everything might go wrong, even though I might end up homeless, no matter what, I'm going to follow Jesus. This might be the first time you've thought that. This might be just a rededication of thinking that. But in this place right now, there might be some people here that have decided, I am going to follow Jesus no matter where it takes me, even unto death. And if that is you right now, if you have decided, you have made the firm decision that you don't care who talks about you, who, who curses you out, who cuts you off from your family or anything like that, you're going to follow Jesus. That the cross is before you and the world is behind you. And that if nobody goes with you, you will follow. If you have made that choice today, I don't care who you are, stand up right now. If you have made the concrete choice to give your all to Christ and be that disciple, not just be a fan, but really be that disciple. I don't care if you think you're a Christian or anything like that. This could just be a point of rededication. If you have made that choice that you will give your radical all for Christ and be his disciple, stand up right now. song the world behind me the cross before me the world behind me the cross mm. before me if I have to give up every dime Lord the world mm. <laughs> behind me Hallelujah. the cross before me yes Lord no turning back no this heart, make, make this your heart's cry. Make this your heart's cry. Mm. Though none go with me. It doesn't matter. <laughs> I still will find if my family disowns me. standing right now understand that you are signing your own death certificate you are saying right now I am willing to die I'm willing to lay down everything for Christ 
everything. And you are also signing something that says, hey, I will suffer for you. I will be that person of love that gets broken and bruised and stays vulnerable in this world of sin. I will do that because you did it for me. I want you to really understand what you're doing here tonight. You are making a critical decision of critical importance. It's going to have impact for the rest of your life. Let's all stand. Let's all stand. Again, this is not anything about any spiritual haves or spiritual have-nots. This is not trying to separate the wheat from the chaff. This is just putting a decision that needs to be put in front of all of us. I mean, how many times did Jesus do stuff like that? It's like the rich man and, and the rich man went away and said, hey, unless you drink my blood and eat my flesh, you can be no part of me and disciples fell away. This is just something we have to decide for ourselves. No one is better than anybody else. But we each have to make that decision to follow Jesus. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you for this word. I thank you for the people that have stood up and decided that they are going to follow you. Father, it's a hard road. You walked a hard road. You walked the road of suffering and you're calling us to walk that same road with you, Lord. We're asking for strength and guidance by your spirit because we can't do it without you. We're telling you that right now we confess that. Father, for those people who didn't stand and maybe they just need time to think about it, Father, let them do so with your spirit, Lord God. Let them really count the cost and see if they really want in this thing because that's how serious it is. And maybe there's some people here, Lord, that they decide, you know, I just have too much on my plate right now. I can't do that Christian discipleship stuff, Father. Pour out your blessings upon them, Lord God. Let them know at least they have made a decision. They are not lukewarm. They have made a decision, Lord God. And I believe by your spirit, maybe you might even change their mind, Lord God, but I just thank you for what they have done this day. Father, I pray that your spirit would just seal this word in this heart, that you have such a love for Woodland Hills, that you have a calling for Woodland Hills, that you want Woodland Hills to transform this city, but the only way that we're gonna do that is if we can get radical. The only way that we can follow your vision is to be true disciples. Father, I just thank you for this time and I pray your traveling blessings upon all of the people here that have heard this word. And I pray that as a result of this word, that none of us here, none of us are ever going to be the same. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If this was your first time making that decision to follow Jesus, this is your first time, we have some information over there. Please go take that. If, there, if, you, if some of you people just want prayer, because let me tell you something, the road of discipleship is a hard road, and we need to pray and encourage one another. If you need prayer, prayer teams are going to be right here. God bless you and God keep you.